Kia ora, you are listening to the Vet Thrive Collective Podcast. My name is Megan Alderson and I'm a well-being advocate for the veterinary profession and everybody within it. Join me on a global journey finding a collective of well-being innovators and thought leaders sowing seeds of change to bring our industry into a place where we can be happy, healthy, flourish and thrive. If you've been in the veterinary profession long enough, you will know about a driving force within us all, the will to do better. As we journey from a newly minted new grad to an esteemed master of our careers, many of us are connected by this one value, this one belief. We need and want to do better for our patients. Listen in to this week's Vet Thrive Collective podcast where Dr. Alex Walker, veterinary surgical specialist with over 40 years of experience, brings his wisdom on the why to, in order to thrive in your career is an essential ingredient to put into that toolbox. And let's learn how to get it. He explains there never should be an eye when things don't go according to plan, only an owl. As the team, the business and the organisation takes responsibility for any failings and works on how to do better for the next patient and to get it right. Like anyone who knows Alex, I absolutely love this guy. Kia ora and welcome to episode 7 of the Vet Thrive Collective Podcast. A special little thanks for Medical Assurance Society who has come to me to sponsor this podcast. They can see the value in well-being across the caring professions, dentists, doctors, medical centres and veterinarians. So thank you, Alex. Graduated in 1978 and he had a distinction from Massey University, receiving a prestigious President's Award in 2020 for his contribution to our country as a founding father of specialist practice. Alex is someone who can make a difference to our world as carers, being a carer who connects with our people and our community, as well as caring for those heartbeats at our feet. Here today on the Vet Thrive Collective podcast to dispel the myth that anyone over the age of 50 doesn't know the meaning of well-being and how mastery of our careers, whether that be student, tech, vet, nurse, customer care or animal handling assistant, is essential as a building block to long-term well-being. Please welcome Dr. Alex Walker. Kia ora, Alex. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I'd also like to put in a little plug for medical assurance as a young veterinarian in 1984 returning from overseas. Medical assurance were the only people who would fund our initial practice. So thank you, John Miosevich, nearly 40 years ago for helping us get started. Wow, that, that's nice, isn't it? It's <laughs> helping me get started on my way to being a podcaster. Mm. And yeah, didn't know about that. We start the show finding out a bit more about your whakapapa and your taringa waiwai. Because as New Zealanders from Aotearoa, we have deep roots to our whenua. So Alex, tell us a little bit about where you came from and who your people are. I'm an Aucklander, born and bred. I grew up in Blockhouse Bay. My dad was a builder, mum was a housewife, raised five children. We went to Linfield College. I loved science and I desperately wanted to be a builder like my dad and ran into a few obstacles there from him. He wanted me to go to university and so I took a year off and went and worked in the freezing works and pretty much in the seventh form and worked out that, yeah, university seemed a pretty good choice and my girlfriend at the time was going to Massey and I thought, why not? I'll go to Massey too. Well, there's a follower. 
<laughs> Seems like a good idea at the time. That's yeah. the way to start a career. Yeah. But your love of animals, did that come from further back? It was a love of medicine, actually. Oh. I was really interested in, in medicine, and I used to read a lot about that as a teenager, anatomy and physiology, which is weird. But I did really want to be a doctor, and then... When I was heading off to Massey, I thought, perfect, I'll be a vet. I'll be able to do medicine. We always had animals at home, so I had a great love of animals, not farm animals, but just dogs, and I grew, always grew up with a dog. And that was probably the best decision I ever made in my life, was to head south and go to Massey and try to get into veterinary school, which was quite difficult. I had to have an interview with the dean at the time, Dean Pryor, and he sat me down and said, yeah, it's funny that, Vets used to have potential students used to have interviews with the dean, and he said, "Mr. Walker, what were you doing in 1973?" And I said, well, "I was working at the freezing works." And he looked at me and he said, "You realise you're competing with the brightest young people in New Zealand for these positions, and good luck to you, but I don't hold out much hope." And that that was good of him. It was, yeah. <laughs> There's peer support and mentorship. Yeah, slipped a bit of gorse under my saddle, and good I on thought, him. yeah, I thought bugger that, and yeah. I got four A's and got in. And a distinction. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Top of the class. So there started the career into veterinary medicine mm. and I guess graduation happened and then what? Yeah, graduation and I returned to Auckland and I got a job in a Dominion Road Vet Clinic, which is about three kilometres from where we're sitting right now. And yeah, had an interesting two years there, but quickly learnt that I knew nothing and I just needed to, I had a real drive to do better. I didn't know it then, but that was my drive and probably my why. I always want to do better at what I can do. And I wondered how I could do that. There was no indication when I was a student that you could go on and do further study. Mm. So I talked to Boyd Jones in 1980. 1981. He's, and he's a bit of a New Zealand legend, isn't he? He is, yeah. yeah. And a he world was legend, actually. World legend. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. man, been a great mentor to me. And he said, yes, you, there is internships and residencies and you can specialise, but you have to go overseas to the UK or, or the States and they're very competitive. Mm. But I'll help you do that if you want to do that. Yeah. Now that's mentorship, isn't it? Just having that one person who saw the value in helping you do yep what you wanted to do. And that's what we're talking about with career mastery today, how important that is to actually have that mentor and that support to actually get to the next step, whatever that may be in your career. So tell us the rest. So Boyd got you on the plane. Yeah, well, he showed me how to apply, which was a massive project back in those days, all letters and written applications. And I applied for a residency in small animal surgery and and actually thanks thank god I did well at university and was in the top 3 from my class so they actually looked at my application and I got awarded two residencies one in Florida and one in Missouri and I took the one in Missouri and Columbia because the head of surgery Joe Bodrab at that time had written all the textbooks on current techniques in small animal surgery and so he called me personally one day and I always remember I was working in the clinic and I got a call from got a midwestern voice saying do you want the residency and welcome aboard and that was it. I had to go to the library to look at a map to see where Missouri was. <laughs> and, and off I went. Yeah. 
Wow. So yeah. that was a big step from Lockhouse Bay to Freezing Works to Massey <laughs> University to... To Missouri. Yeah, Missouri. Co- Columbia, Missouri. Yeah, yeah. What year was that? That was 1981. They, yeah, the residencies in June, mid-year. Still do. And yeah, I stayed there from 1981 to 1984. Dear Bud, your extended learning experience. Yeah, yeah. And Tell us about Missouri. And just, I know I've got down here that you received the Graduate Student Teacher Award of the Year or, mm, or yeah. of your class. So yeah. you did something right over there as a little Kiwi boy, fresh well, out of yeah. university. It was very very easy because the American system is different than ours and those vets had already done a degree, a prelim degree to get into a professional course. So they were exactly the same age as me and they were undergraduates and I was a graduate resident. So I was teaching them surgery while I was learning surgery from the people above me, my senior resident and my professors. And we just had a grand time. Like we were all the same age. I was learning, they were learning. It was very easy to get that award because... I was just teaching my mates. Yeah, that's fantastic. (laughs) And I think it's the way it goes with us, isn't it? We're very good at sharing as a country and sharing our knowledge and working in a team. Yeah. So you're back in New Zealand then. You've come back and... Yeah, I did. I made that decision. One of my classmates, Chris Warman, he'd followed a... A similar track, he'd gone to Melbourne to do a radiology, it was called then, residency, and we'd kept in contact writing letters par avant, letters across the Pacific, and he returned to New Zealand and I thought this is a chance for me to go home, pair up with an imager, because a surgeon needs a radiologist. And a radiologist needs a surgeon, really. So it was a good team for us. And uh, yeah, we came home in 1984 and bought a little practice on the North Shore Oniwa Road Vet Hospital and started operating out of there and receiving referrals, which was a brand new thing back in those days. As Hartley said, the past is a different country. They do things differently. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was done very differently. All the vets then were male. They all saw themselves as surgeons. For some reason, surgery has always been the thing for vets to say I'm a surgeon now we know there's medicine and all these other dermatology and cardiology and all this other stuff you can be good at but surgery always seems to be the things that male vets wanted to do and let's just like preface that and back in those days there were very few female vets yeah very few very yeah. few. But my first boss was a female, Cheryl Bell. Yeah. And yeah, and she was a, a good boss too. She helped me just like Boyd. Boyd and Cheryl were in the same class, the first class to go through Massey University. And I guess we were back in the day that veterinary science was pretty new. Even when I went to Missouri, I was only the second resident they'd ever had in 1981. Specialisation was new even in the States. It was mm-hmm. only 10 years old. And the Schools over there were just tooling up to take residents and to do the training programs. Now it's very slick. You go, you do an internship, maybe two or three before you get a residency. And then after a residency, you did a, do a clinical instructorship. So it's a five-year program to go from BVSC through to boarded surgeon or boarded internist but back then it was new and yeah. uh, and to have someone like Joe Bojarab the guy that actually yeah. one of the forefathers of yeah. veterinary surgery and to As, actually teach you yeah. yeah and to become a friend you go yeah. around for dinner on Saturday night and wow. look after his kids and stuff so yeah it was the, a, a sideline it was a great time <laughs> babysitter yeah. as well yeah, as, as graduate absolutely <laughs> student teacher of the year <laughs> no no pay involved <laughs> no exactly <laughs> oh, that's right so tell us about basically that you've you founded your practice and the 
then I know that you actually founded the first specialist yeah. practice outside of Massey University in New Zealand as well. And mm. yeah, the journey to that. So just growing bigger and becoming a standalone business. Yeah, we all we always knew. It wasn't until 1994 there was any legal recognition of a specialist vet, veterinarian. The Veterinary Surgeons Act did not recognise any specialisation at all. We were all just veterinarians. But in 1994 that changed and it a specialisation to be recognised as a separate qualification within the veterinary world. So... Chris and I had to work as general practitioners for while doing our specialty for 84 to 2000, 16 years. But in the mid-90s, we were able to apply for specialist registration and we got it in radiology, myself and small animal surgery. And that opened the door for us to, to create a standalone specialist hospital, which we did in Carrington Road. It was called VSG at that time, Veterinary Specialist Group. And very famous. You can't probably go down the road anywhere in Auckland without being hello <laughs> you've looked after my animal yeah so you've been there that long and I think that better that driving your primary why was better in actually gaining those career skills and mastery to do better for the animals how then did that kick on to looking after the people who joined your business and actually the students, the interns, the people coming through the veterinary nurses how did that drive them? I think that it's easy or good to follow someone who's striving for excellence if you want to do that yourself so you do acquire or people join you who want to join that program and you can't do better by yourself that's the whole thing it's a team approach it's exceptional care together that's our sort of byline for VSA these days and it's exactly that you can only provide exceptional care if you have a team around you and and we've always done that even from Onua Road right through to VSG and then following through to VSA is that it wasn't just better care for the animals but it was better equipment better working conditions better culture more fun just it was better everything and that's what I've really strived for my whole career because knowing that no matter how good you get there's always better and I think that's what I've followed. And I think that's an important point because being a leader of veterinary specialist surgery in New Zealand, it is like just being able to see you up there. We know you're an extremely skilled and caring surgeon, but also being able to actually see how you treat your people and how you teach your people with, a, I guess, a base culture of approach, meaning team, is really, I guess, the gold here. Because there's so many of us out there, and I'm 30 years in, and still I hear the stories about new graduates or early grads doing surgery alone, mistakes happening or just incompetencies, let's put it that way, and feeling the pain by themselves or the anguish of failure. How do we look to a better future for all of us? Yes, it is by that team approach. No no veterinarian or veterinary professional nurse should ever be feel that they're solely responsible for a patient's care. There's just no way that should ever happen. There should always be a team, be it two, three, four, right up to 50 in that team, looking after that those, those patients in your care. And I think that when you're in that situation, you can experience failures, complications, but it's not down to you alone there there's a whole team that takes that on their shoulders and we've always 
done that, built a team around the care of the patient. And also just things like when I came back, veterinary clinics or hospitals were pretty sterile places. And if you ask my wife, she'll tell you that I love music. So we always used to have music playing. And the nurses and the vets alike used to love having a stereo or a, a music playing. We'd turn it off when things get got stressed, but generally there was always music and people could put on their own music and made the place a little bit more accessible and calming, I think, animals and humans alike. And then you build that team Everybody's just working for the best outcome for that individual patient that you're treating there. Mindfulness about the one in front of you, that patient in front of you, because even you've got a whole day of work ahead of you, all sorts of things to do. You might be there at eight o'clock writing notes, but that patient in front of you is the one that takes your care at that minute. Yeah. And you concentrate on that. Teaching that early. So you have run an internship program. And I know you now have interns all over the world that will be listening to this podcast. <laughs> seated right throughout, yeah, yes. countries, UK. Yes. Yeah. Yep, they're all yep. over the place. And they'll be listening to Alex Walker, um, mm. their legendary mm. teacher, <laughs> and saying, yes, you put them in good stead. But how did you care for them? What's a specifically something that we can actually take home today for business owners or organisations about how you actually looked after those young graduates and turned them into the amazing career people that they are today? I think that's such a big question because there's so many factors involved in there. I think one of it is working towards mastery and letting each person recognise that they can also become masters without doing residencies, but they can also become very skilled. So becoming skilled is one arm to it because if you, say you take an interest in cardiology or dermatology, you can work along that path and become very skilled in it and you're less stressed by cases because you feel as though you've got some knowledge about that or where to access that knowledge it's like turning up an exam without any preparation it makes you very stressed <laughs> Somehow and anxious was... <laughs> whereas and I'm sure lots of people still have dreams like that yep. of being in being an in exam the wrong room at the wrong time yeah so <laughs> trying to sit and, an exam <laughs> and that all exactly and that all comes down to prep and so when so you can take a young graduate and say look what I say to them is that this is a marathon. You'll just come out of vet school. There's so much more you're going to learn. So you, And the big thing is that when you go into consultation, you don't have to walk out of that consultation knowing the answer because there's all sorts of stuff you can do to interrogate that problem to get the answer. And there's all sorts of people you can talk to about it. Support. Peer support. And no pressure on time. Not saying you should have known the diagnosis there. It's obvious. Might yeah. be obvious when the you're 30 years The pressure is on ourselves. Yeah. yeah. So that's one thing. Also, so a growth pattern and knowledge. And also support around them, particularly because I was a surgeon, I never ever put any of my young vets in a situation where they were having to do a surgery that was out of their ability it might be I put them in a situation where they had to grow doing the surgeon, but I was always next door or 
made myself available to help them through that. And I'm talking about stuff like big bitch spays, which yeah. I think young veterinarians, I always regard that as a very difficult surgery, a big Thank mature. Thank you. A mature, <laughs> Thank you. Will, <laughs> hear this, okay? A bi- it is spay. a difficult surgery. It's a difficult surgery. It's a, They call it a routine surgery. There's nothing routine about it other than it's done regularly. But that patient, it's a potentially fatal surgery. Those patients can die, yeah. and they do. And so you need training to do that. And so I used to take my young vets and and we do, even with our interns, we build them up to doing a bitch spay and we show them the technique, how you do it. Wounds heal side to side. It doesn't matter whether your wound is three inches long or five inches long. I'm talking inches now. It's make a bigger hole to look after your patient. They don't care whether it's a small hole. They still heal just the same. Yeah, so we're just simple things like training. Never put them in a situation where they're feeling so anxious about it that they there's a massive failure coming. Set them up to fail. You set them up to succeed. And also we did that with our, with our nurses, our tech support, yeah. is that they start young. They start as a junior nurse. They've got a, a middle nurse above them and a senior nurse that's all helping them train. Now, I've got two questions for you then. So isolation is definitely detrimental to well-being yep. in our profession. And we know and that... And patient uh, care. Yeah, and patient care, correct. And so we know that there's many people who are out there drowning in their failures, let's put it that way. And what now that the world has changed and connectivity is the word that we're all talking about, what could those people do to be a part of this learning process and feel the part of the community that can grow through their support and mentorship mm. from people like you or your business. Yeah. Well, I think that mentorship's very easy to, word to say, but it's very hard to do. And no one person can mentor another person. I think it takes a team to mentor a person. But one of our, our values at VSA is haporitanga. And we've used Toreo because... Tereo is very good at a concept rather than just a single word or a paragraph trying to explain something. A poritanga means creating a community or serving a community. Now, a young vet, we're, we're training interns and residents, so every week we have a journal club and rounds, and, and any vet in New Zealand could be part of those. Uh, and I would really... What about worldwide? Yeah, I would really... <laughs> if the timing worked. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the thing is, yes, absolutely, because with Zoom, it's all available, all available. isn't it? And, yeah. and I would really encourage people who are working, even in teams, or be, is to reach out to your specialist practices that are close to you or you use and see if you can join those journal clubs. They start at 7 o'clock in the morning, so it does take a little bit of discipline to be there. But they're really good. And you've got our residents, our interns are presenting papers they've read over the week. And they just and so it's an easy way to learn because there's collegiate dis- discussion. You learn those people. You create a, a personal link with those people. So if you're a young or a, not even young, you look at a case and you think, I don't even know where to go to. You pick up your phone and you talk to Tommy Fluin or Wenji in our internal medicine department or a surgeon and say, look, I'm looking at this. What do you think? And they help. And, and that's so, it. Connectivity is such a, an community. important pillar yeah. of well-being yes. and health. Is our whānau. My personal values is belonging. And I think I just didn't know how to belong when I was a young veterinarian. I did feel, feel standalone yes. by myself, failing forward. I did yeah. learn by my mistakes and yeah. too many of them. But yeah. how can we how can we connect those dots and help our young people 
grow into their careers in mastery, which is a great discussion today. So let's talk about failures, okay? Perfectionism, part of the profession. It yep. is, it's like being stuck in the mud and not being able to move forward sometimes. And like we are hearing, I can't do that and no, which is great from our younger community. They are putting up their hands. They do have a voice. That old, in my day, this is what we did, still comes out and I guess is an underpinning culture in the profession still. How do we change that? How do we look after or how do we embrace failure and again I like your it's our failure it's an organizational cultural failure isn't it if you've got one person yep. alone failing in a team so I love that but how do we actually help with dealing with those feelings or the debriefing process if something inevitably goes badly which it does because we're not working on cars yeah. we're working on animals yeah there's a very important you, there's nothing 100% successful particularly in medicine and biology, not even when cars are being fixed. But so perfectionism, I think we've got to get away from trying to be perfect because it's a concept you can never reach. But being better is an easier way of looking at it. So we've all, we're all going to get our failures and our complications. When I look at it, I think a failure is something where you could have done something better. And that just needs review. It's not that you take it, put it in your bone bag and carry it, drag it around for the rest of your career. When something goes wrong, your team or the people, and this is the Hapori Tanga and Kotahi Tanga, those, that, those groups of people within your practice or outside of your practice, you can review that case. We do a mortality rounds when we have deaths and we look at why, how could we have done better? Was there a decision we made along the way that influenced that? And you just learn from it so it doesn't become an overwhelming anxiety not to make a mistake because you're going to make mistakes. And if you pull back from making mistakes, then you never make advances either. And the All Blacks, they always say we learn more from our mistakes than we do from our wins. And that's exactly, that goes across the board in every profession. If you just... They learn it as a team. Absolutely. Review. There's not one person that's, oh, you chuck the ball out, you're out. No. (laughs) And in fact, it's very important when you have those reviews, there's no blame. Blame doesn't come into it. It's yeah. looking at the facts, that's looking a deep at... deep cultural change, yeah. Absolutely. And that's where our profession has to go. It has to go to more support. I call it mentorship, but it's actually team support. It's more team support. And is that something that you learned coming through Missouri? Like feedback, for example, is a dirty word. If you say, I'm going to give you some feedback, you're like here it comes we definitely have a fear of feedback and just because like we're uncomfortable to be fair a lot of the younger professionals coming out are definitely seeking feedback they want it but reticent to give it so that can be difficult yeah in Missouri we call it peer review and I think that's a better way of looking at it it's actually the people working alongside you reviewing your um your work and your achievements or what you're doing. And we used to have rounds regularly every day and you soon got used to criticism. And that's one thing a residency really teaches you is to take criticism. Most of the time was constructive. Sometimes it's destructive. You get those people in every community. I wouldn't say Missouri was perfect. And uh, But the thing is you're hardened up to review. And as you say, feedback, it's more... 
people should be trying to improve, your team should be trying to improve their quality of care with the feedback rather than lay blame at, every, at anybody's I like that. Door. Improve the quality of the care with the feedback. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's all, we're here to for the patient, aren't we? We're yeah. here. That's the why. That's I, why most of us are here. And I think that's that psychological safety in the workplace that we're talking about. It's built on trust and respect. So a mutual yeah. trust and respect, employer and employee. And yep. I think as the founding leader, you've done that so that they can be in a safe place. They do know what, it, what the review is about and they know that it's going to be about the team approach rather than isolating the one person yes. and then we'll put it in a box Absolutely. and put it in their warehouse of boxes of yeah. bad things that happen to us yeah. and those boxes eventually will lead to leaving the career, no yep. doubt. That's right and I'd say to anybody out there, if you're running a team of veterinary professionals and they're feeling like failures, it's your failure. That's not theirs. Good point. <laughs> Hear that, everyone? See, well-being is possible above the age of 50. <laughs> You've got a couple of tips, like surgical tips, to keep them on game. Let's back it back to my six shields and um, breathing or, you know, just being in the moment and, you know, bringing it back when, you know, you're approaching that that really big bitch bay that we've been talking about and thinking, oh, here we go. <laughs> so just rolling through any techniques. Yeah, but advice to... To young veterinarians, that what we talked about before, become part of the community. Find your community if you're find if, your tribe. If, yep, find your tribe. And there's say we've got two hospitals in Auckland. Reach out to them. There's other ones as well. Christchurch, I yeah, heard. and Christchurch as well. So the first thing is get that connect- connectivity. Know your specialists and your special the people who do that advanced care more closely. That will help you create that team. From a day-to-day thing is that those really hard days, and I've had plenty of them, I always used to think the sun's going to go down tonight. It's what I do today is not going to end the world. All I can do is the best I can do, and I have to be mindful about every patient in front of me. I had a little knack that I developed that when I had all these cases in my head, but the moment I start to scrub my hands, I'd quiet my mind and just think about that patient lying on the table in the theatre beside me and just concentrate completely on that patient in front of me while I scrub my hands so that when I walked in to the theatre, that's all that was I had to achieve. I didn't have to write the notes, answer the phone, write the talk for next week. Have the week. rep coming and talking to you yeah. at the same time all, all as you're stuff. scrubbing your hands because yeah. you're standing there. <laughs> exactly. All I had to do was treat that patient to my yeah. the best of my ability and so that's one thing realize that it's not the end of the world concentrate on what's in front of you build your team support around you and also that every person in the clinic I like to think of that I don't like a vertical structure I like a horizontal structure they're senior people but we're all on the same plane and I love that I think they talked about Michael DeBakey the famous cardiac surgeon in Texas who would stop on his way out and talk to the cleaner. And they did an interview, a story on him, and they interviewed the cleaner, and they said, what does, what do you, what does Michael DeBakey talk to you about at night time? And he said, he says that I'm saving lives because without my me keeping this hospital clean, his patients would get infections and his mortality rate would be higher. So I'm helping him save lives. So that's what I do when I come to work. True teamwork. Teamwork right across the board and I've taken that into my work is that everybody is critical to 
getting that patient better and out the door and home. Oh, I love it. (laughs) So you're such a gift to the profession, Alex. I've got a quote from, I've just recently been at a New Zealand NZVA's very first wellbeing and business symposium, because we know wellbeing and business are Mm. yin-yang, can't have one without the other. And I met one of your old colleagues from Missouri. (laughs) And I asked her about Alex, and she said to me, what he brought to my career was fun. I looked and listened and learned from, in quotes, feral Alex, who shaped my career as a veterinary nurse assistant. And this was Sue, who basically is Sue Sue Crampton. Crampton. Yes, you've got it. Mm. She just has retired from being a nurse. So literally just retired and been running a veterinary consulting company, a business consulting for many years. And so this is an example of back in 1981, (laughs) how you shaped somebody else's career. That's nice to hear. Yeah, Mm. and I think I said, I love the word fun because you sound like you do have fun at work. And the definition I loved was playfulness, connection and flow. And we do a tough job every day and it doesn't always go well. And we've got a lot Mm. of yeah, let's say weeds in our garden when it yeah. comes to working with people and animals. And yeah, and you've just maintained the feeling of fun throughout your whole career. Everyone yeah. loves working with Alex. Oh, that's Apart nice from one person that was at your retirement party. Yeah. <laughs> one of the nurses. <laughs> it's my least favourite. <laughs> so, I was her least favourite. <laughs> and that's because, you know, not, it's not so patient always, hey? <laughs> no, I can be quite impatient when I'm in theatre. Yeah, yes. I, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. mastery. <laughs> comes with a price. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so we're rounding up today. It's been a fantastic um, talk with you, Alex. I think there's so much more that you can give to the profession through (laughs) the knowledge that you've shared today. There's Balant groups where we're talking about part bringing this community together because we have been very disconnected and isolated over the last few years. I don't know if you can hear some huffing and puffing in the background here, but we have Dudley in the studio and Dudley was his... uh, Do you want to tell us about Dudley? Yeah, Dud's our dog. He was born on the 11th of November, the 11th of 11th, 2011, and today is his 11th birthday, so he's 1111111. And we can tell you a little secret, I'm a veterinarian too, as we all well know, and I brought Dudley home to Alex, because he's my husband, and said he came in to get put down, he was a little fella, you know, he was only about Oh, about 12 weeks old, wasn't he? Neospora, yeah. Yeah, he had Neospora and um, he had a permanent disability. And, uh, yeah, I said, can we just keep him for the weekend? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And he said, as long as we can call him Dad. (laughs) I'm like, let's call him Dudley. So we negotiated. And here he is on his birthday, 11 years later, (laughs) in the studio with us. And I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to the Vet Thrive Collective Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest in veterinary professional wellbeing across the globe, join the conversation by following Vet Thrive on LinkedIn. Subscribe to the Vet Thrive Collective Podcast at Apple Podcasts and Spotify.